Philippians, uh, Paul has been um, consistently helping us understand the difference between living by your own self-efforts to receive justification before God and living according to grace, the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. He's used uh, many techniques in order which to do that. One of those is the, uh, the technique of comparison or opposites. And uh, we've seen that throughout this book where he has taken one thing that is true in God's kingdom and one way that the world operates and contrasted them, such as the fake gospel or the true gospel. Uh, He's taught us about grace and or law. He's taught us about liberty or living in chains, a justification by faith or trying to achieve justification by works. He's taught us about Christ living in me or me trying to live for Christ. Spirit's power or flesh efforts. He even talked about living under a blessing or living under a curse. He talked about being adopted into God's family or being just a hired hand. He's constantly showing us that it doesn't make any sense for us to live over here, which is the way the world operates, and many people who have even come to faith in Christ fall back into. He says it doesn't make any sense to live over here when you've been given such a wonderful life over here. And as we approach the last chapter, the last part of chapter 4, he's setting the stage for chapter 5. And really, chapter 5, verse 1, is the pinnacle verse of the book. It's where the book has been coming to, and then the rest of the book kind of comes from uh, this one verse in chapter 5, verse 1. And it's next week's kind of message, but I just can't wait. So you're going to get chapter uh, 5, verse 1 today, just briefly, okay? It says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So Christ follower, guess what? You are what? Free. Free. So, how many Christ followers are living a life that is completely, totally free? Or have many chosen the bondage of the past, the flesh patterns of the past, the ways of the past? In a nutshell, 5.1 here is the message of the book. And today we're going to look at how we get to that uh, pinnacle verse there in chapter 5, verse 1. Is he takes the readers to a very familiar story that uh, his Galatian uh, readers would have been very familiar with. We're familiar with it too. It's the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, their two boys, Ishmael, and Isaac. And so let's pick it up here in chapter 4, uh, verse 21 to the end of the chapter. He says, tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? In other words, you that want to add something to grace, your good behavior to grace, do you realize what you're actually asking for, what you're actually doing? And he he draws this comparison. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. In other words, he's going to use the situation of Abraham taking Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, and having a child with her. And he's going to contrast that with the miracle that God worked in Abraham and Sarah because of their age for them to conceive and have a child, Isaac. So in verse 24, this is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, where the law was given, bearing children who are to be slaves, which is what the law does, she's Hagar. 
And now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the kingdom of God, is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, and so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. So the question I want you to ponder and carry with you through the message today is this. Do you live in bondage or freedom? Do you live in bondage or freedom? You see, this, this passage that we read here is, would have been very confrontational for Paul in dealing with the Galatian Christians of this first century because he's calling in to question their heritage. He is saying that you all are living as if you were the children of Hagar. Which would have been fighting words to these people, you know what I mean? No, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of that, Jesus, that's, that's our heritage, not Ishmael. But Paul keeps saying, but you're living like that. You know the story, Abraham and Sarah, old, past childbearing years. Yet God had promised them a son, and so they took matters into their own hands. They helped God out. <laughs> I've done that. They said, here, God, uh, it doesn't seem to be working the way that you've designed it, so I'll just take Hagar and we'll have a son by her. He does have a son by her, Ishmael. Uh, And then later on, even when they're older, many years later, um, actually there is a miracle that's worked and Sarah conceives and Isaac is born as a fulfillment of the promise that God had given. And Ishmael... Is he's saying in this passage that Ishmael and Hagar, now they represent this man's way of doing things. It's taking matters into your own hands. It's trying to be pleasing to God or justified by God by the way in which you act and the way you behave. You're earning your way. And he's saying that's the Hagar way. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil way. That's the world system way. And he's saying, but that's not where you were born. You were born into the tree of life, the tree of promise, the tree of the miracle, the Isaac way. And so I guess the summation would be, so live like it. (laughs) Live like that. He says this in verse 28, and this is kind of like a, a spiritual father speaking to his children. He says, after making his whole point, he says this in verse 28, and you, my brethren, My friends, like Isaac, are children of promise. Are children of promise. I've labored over you, Galatians, over and over, again and again. I love you so deeply. I want so much for you. You are not of the Hagar line. (laughs) Your salvation is not a result of your own doing. You are children of the promise of the miracle. 
as a result of what Jesus has done for you. And what we need to understand as we view this passage is that Paul is explaining to them, not you can choose this or choose that, and um, one path leads to a good place and one path leads to a bad place. He's actually going a little bit deeper than that. He's saying you can choose to believe in the Hagar way and earning your way and attaching behavior to grace. You can choose that way, but if you're a Christ follower, that's just not the case. You're believing something that's false. Because as a Christ follower, you are children of promise. You've been bought with a miracle of the cross of Jesus Christ, and you are free, and you are children of the free. You, have to only under, you only have to assume kind of what the Galatian Christians were doing, putting a law with grace. And it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like if, they, if they didn't go along with the grace plus law plan that was going on, it was kind of like saying to their parents, you know, the way you were raised and the way grandpa and grandma were raised and all of that, I'm just going to kind of walk away from that and I'm going to go with this new thing called Christ and Christianity. And I'm not going to try to blend the two. And so that there was this nostalgic feeling for the past, perhaps, that says, I'm going to try to please those that are over here, and I'm going to also want the grace of Christ Jesus. I want to make it all work, and let's just all be happy. There was something about the, the feeling of adhering to tradition and not just totally walking away from it and totally accepting grace that drew them back in their feelings. Well, actually, can we just talk about feelings for just a moment? Don't people get all messed up with feelings? Don't people get all messed up with feelings? I mean, anybody ever hurt your feelings? People say things about you or they treat you in such a way that hurts your feelings. And you kind of get that, that message that maybe, maybe they're right. Or I know they're not right, and I'm going to let them know. And so the hurt and the pain in your life then drives the way you behave, right? You do things in response to the way you feel. And sometimes they make you feel bad, and so you act bad, and therefore you draw the conclusion that you are bad. Ever been there? I feel lonely and isolated and I feel like I'm just not any value to anybody. So I'm going to try to medicate my pain and I'm going to run to some kind of idol or addiction or something that I, I do to kind of make myself feel a little better. So my feelings are driving my behavior and then I finally get over here and guess what? I start believing about myself. Even as a Christ follower who's been freed from the old path and the old is gone and the new has come and but my feelings have driven my behavior and I'm going to now decide what I believe based upon what I've seen in my life. And so I am a bad person because I acted badly. But you see, it was all driven by feelings. I'm going to put something on the board and show you two ways to live. You can live from your feelings. Now, I know that there's nobody here that does this, but there are some people in the world that live by their feelings. And their feelings drive their behavior. And they decide what they believe based upon how they behave. 
Can I propose that you flip it? My proposal to you is that you believe that Jesus died for you and the old is gone and the new has come. <laughs> you're not the person that you used to be. All those old temptations, they may come around still, but you're not that same person. And the more you believe that your identity is now the grace of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ, and you believe that, even when the enemy tries to come and tell you, no, no, look, if you were really that, you wouldn't have all these temptations. You wouldn't have all this sin still rub coming up in your life. You say, no, the word says it, I believe it. And I'm going to stand on that belief that I'm a new creation in Christ and he loves me and accepts me. And I can never do something so often, so many times where he's going to say, you know, that's one too many, you're out. Because my justification wasn't based upon my, my behavior. It was this free gift to me. And guess what? When you start believing those things and, and really clinging to those beliefs, your behavior begins to line up with that. And guess what happens down the road? These lying feelings begin to even get in line. Oh, they'll still lie to you from time to time. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Just don't live backwards. Know what you believe. Claim what you believe. I mean, you could be here and you're a Christian and you're just trapped in belief that in order to be well thought of by God and others, you've got to produce this, this kind of constant behavior that is going to make God just stand and applaud you. And You look back over your life and you see how short you've come of that and you wish you could have been a better husband. You wish you could have been a better wife. You wish you could have been a better parent. You see all the sins that you've committed. And you, you look at the times where your embarrassing pride welled up and you said things. You remember, you remember that, right? Anybody else remember when pride came, got the best of you? Oh, and you remember all that, those disgusting sexual sins and you, you just think, oh, man, I wish I could go back. And you remember the horrible choices that you made and the maybe years of rebellion that you had and the wasted time and you're just sick of it and you just wish you could go back and do it again and make it right. And You know who wants you to think about all that stuff? Is it the devil or the Holy Spirit? It's the devil. He wants you to keep living in the fact that you can't do it because he wants to make you feel bad because then you're going to behave bad and then you're going to decide you are bad. He really doesn't want you to know that you're in Christ. You've been given a free gift of grace. And He is your source. And He is your power. And the point, the point Paul's making here is this. You, you, can believe, you can believe that grace plus your behavior and obeying the rules and, 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 and letting your flesh try hard to live the Christian life. You can believe that that earns you favor with God, but it doesn't make any sense because it's not true. <laughs> You can go ahead and act like you're a child of Hagar and that whole system, but it makes no sense because you're not. You're a child of the free woman. You're of the lineage of Isaac and Jacob and Jesus. 
So I'm going to ask the previous question. I'm going to ask it a different way about bondage or freedom. I'm going to ask it like this. Do you live like you're in bondage or in the reality or truth that you are in freedom? You see, we've got a lot of Christians today who have wandered back into the prison cells of the past. And they're sitting there wondering if they'll ever get out of this prison. But you know what? The door is open. And there's no guards anywhere. And there you are sitting in this prison. And all you've got to do is get up and walk out. You see Paul singing. He, you see what he's thinking of his readers? Why would you do that? <laughs> Why would you do that? If you have Jesus, the point he's making is you're free. You're free. Believe it. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't even matter how you behaved. It's the truth. You believe it. There's another important point we need to get from this passage. It's found in verse 29. It says this, But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, and so it is now also. Do people that live according to the flesh persecute those born according to the Spirit? This might be a little harsh, but here's the way I put it. Law people despise grace people. Is that too harsh? Is that too much? Grace people who are free. You, you can't manipulate and control them, and the law people hate that. <laughs> you can't make me guilty. I just let Jesus do what he wants to do in me, and when it's time for me to serve and do, and uh, it's just so fun and, and exciting because Jesus has given me of his spirit to motivate me and makes me want to do these things. And So you can stand there all day and try to guilt me into this ain't going to work. And the law people... <clears throat> People who find their worth based upon their good works will always persecute those who are free in the Holy Spirit. Always. They th if you think about it for a minute, you say you know a person who works very hard at earning God's favor. I'll tell you, the person that's always working in their flesh to earn God's favor is a person that's very tired all the time. They're always worn out. They're always underappreciated. How come more people don't do all this and... Don't they see what I'm doing? In fact, if you got in their discipleship program, their whole program would be, you need to be a more like, well, me. <laughs> I guess I'm the best example I know of. They always have this, this attitude that I've got to be everywhere that the church says I'm supposed to be and I'm supposed to do all these things. I'm supposed to sign up every sheet that is put out there to sign up on. I've, I've got to bring food every month. And if I forget, I need to beat up myself and make sure I take my own food over there. Oh, my, it's Christmas. All those Christmas boxes. Oh, that, just, that, that display out there just guilts me to death. I haven't done any of them. You see, grace-motivated people, I mean, it's just all about Jesus. 
It's all about what He's done in our, my life. It's all about the, the fact that the cross has won my salvation, of which I'm so grateful. And I, I wrap a Christmas box for a child maybe in Ethiopia because uh, Jesus' love compels me. And as I'm wrapping it, I'm praying for this kid that I'll never see or never know that the items in this box, this, this toy, this toy, this whatever it is that I'm putting in there, I pray that this would communicate to him or her Jesus. They bring food once a month to the ministry and pray over it that the love of Christ would accompany that food as it goes into the life of some family that needs it and they would see Jesus. They'll serve as teachers to our kids because they know that our kids need to understand who Jesus is. How much freedom He has won on their behalf. And they're never motivated by guilt. They just let Jesus move in their heart. And the rule keepers hate them because they can't be controlled or coerced or manipulated. And they just seem so happy. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Who, made, who, who, who hated Jesus the most when he was here on this earth? Who hated him the most? Well, we can say the Pharisees, but it's the rule keepers. Right? It's the rule keepers. They despised him because it didn't appear that the rules even mattered to him. He was uncontrollable and he was dangerous. He's just going around loving people. Do you know who he eats with? He's, he's okay socializing with somebody who's been caught in adultery. And he's, he's okay socializing with that prostitute. And He's even going over to Zacchaeus, the tax collector's house. Can you believe that? I saw him with a demon-possessed guy. Oh. You see, who people had been and who, what they had done didn't really matter to Jesus, did it? Because he knows that <laughs> nobody deserved the grace he was going to give them. These people, those people, any people, nobody deserved it. You know, I think it's important to know what Jesus thought of the Pharisees because it's a peculiar relationship. Did Jesus love the Pharisees? Well, yeah, we would say that Jesus loved everybody, right? And sometimes there's tough love, right? Yeah, here's tough love. Jesus talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You can almost hear that, hypocrites. I don't think Jesus had that kind of attitude, though. But. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which are on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. That's you, Pharisees, you rule keepers. A few verses down, he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Are rule keepers lost as lost can be? Yes, they are. And the reason he's so hard on them is because rule keeping is the enemy of the cross. It's the enemy of the cross. If rightness with God is achievable... We don't need the cross. 
If you can get right with God based upon being good, you don't need the cross. You don't need a Savior. You don't need grace. And we do. You know, how does this grace live itself out, live itself out in everyday life? Um, I'm going to confess to you today. Is that all right? I don't know. What's he going to say? And maybe you're this way. And I think you probably are. Every once in a while, I see a Pharisee attitude in me, right? I see people do dumb things sometimes. You ever seen somebody do dumb things? You ever seen a driver do something dumb in front of you? And sometimes the Pharisee in me comes out. They are so dumb. Sometimes the Pharisee comes out and it's directed right at me. I'm a Pharisee to myself. You know what I'm saying? How could you have said such a thing? That was just mean. Why did you say that to that person? Why did you do that? You're just, you're just no good. And you stand up there every Sunday morning. Yeah, wear that one on for a while. Sometimes there's a little Pharisee in all of us. And the law, quite frankly, so many times the law just makes more sense. Right? Where's a cop when you need him? Come on. How come they're always around when I do stupid things? You know what I'm saying? The law just works better sometimes. Grace. I know I've been using a lot of Tulian Chavidin. Jabidjan's book, uh, One Way Love, lately, but there's one more story I want you to know, and that's, he's telling a story about parenting, and it really kind of speaks to me and exposes this whole thing. Because there was a time when his teenage son was just being incorrigible, just a, a, a bear to live with, uh, didn't get along with his siblings or his parents, and just gruffed around the house all the time, was living in ways that made the household just unbearable. And so, the parents decided, you know, we're going to help him out a little bit, and so we're going to take away his car and his cell phone. I wonder what that means to teenagers today, his car and his cell phone. And he says, you know, I don't know that that's enough of a point, so let's make a point even stronger. And they went and sold his cell phone. And so there's one time where uh, Tulian was going to go out and speak at a convention, a conference that he was going to, and so he sat his son down. He says, I only want you to do one thing for me while I'm gone this week. What's that? I just want you to be kind to your mother. That's it. Any dads ever said that to your kid? While I'm gone, just be kind to her. And so he goes off and and he says, if you do, uh, we'll rethink the cell phone thing. And so midway through his conference, he gets a call from his wife. And guess what? The son had violated their terms. In fact, he had done so with impunity to show his father that he was in charge and not him. And so I pick up the story from his book when he's on the plane home. He says, I spent the plane ride home battling with God. I mean, really going back and forth with him about what I should do. I knew I had to deal with the situation as soon as I returned, and I was angry with my son for putting me in this situation. Ever been there? I was tired of dealing with his ingratitude. 
You can hear the, I'm going to teach him a lesson. But more than that, I wasn't ready to give up control. Not remotely. And if there's anything the law affords me, it's control. (laughs) Yet as I prayed about it, I felt that the Lord was clearly telling me that despite appearances, it was time for me to relent. Time to give the boy his phone back. Every fiber of my being was resistant to such an action. I was afraid of what my son would do with his freedom. I know what I had always done in those situations when I was younger. I took advantage of them. Now that as a father, I am too smart and too prideful to allow that to happen to me. Plus, he just didn't deserve his phone back. One thing I'd asked him to do, he had not done. He'd understood the condition before I left. Be good, and you'll get a phone. Well, he hadn't been good. So no phone. Very reasonable to me. I was looking for an excuse, any excuse to keep the handcuffs on. He says that I was flying back from a conference where I had spoken about one-way love was not lost on me either. (laughs) Well, I got home, called out my son, uh, told him we needed to talk. I reminded him of everything I had said before I left, the conditions under which he would get a phone. He looked at me very sheepishly, knowing he was guilty again. I talked to him uh, for a few minutes about life and choices and how much we loved him, you know, the typical parent thing. He listened intently, and then I looked at him, and I said this. I said, now put your shoes on, and let's go to the phone store and get you a new phone. And he looked at me, completely shocked. And then all of a sudden, his lips started to shake and quiver, and he burst into tears. And I asked him, what is wrong with you? And with tears streaming down this teenager's face, he looked at me and he said, But Dad, I don't deserve a phone. And he was right. He didn't deserve a phone. He didn't deserve a piece of paper and a stamp. And his words revealed that God knew a lot better than I did how to handle my son. Contrition was genuine. The law had leveled him. It had shown him who he was in a way that left no doubt about his need, and now it was time for the gospel of grace. He says, notice that his humility did not precede the invitation. The chronology is crucial. His admission was not a condition for mercy. It was the fruit of mercy. I looked at him and said, listen, son, God takes me to the phone store 10,000 times a day. (laughs) And I've never, ever deserved one of them. And he closes by saying it was a happy day. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you're probably saying, that is so wrong. If you show grace, do you run the risk of it being abused? Did Christ take that risk with you? 
I'm here to tell you, in the end, mercy and grace will always, what, triumph over judgment. I know grace seems wrong. It's not the way things ought to be. And I'm so glad that grace forgives sinners and heals broken people. Gives righteousness to the guilty. Frees the prisoner. And if you're a Christ follower, the message today is that you are free. Children of Sarah, the miracle child. So believe it and live it. Father, I, uh, again, I'm just leveled by your grace. I'm just overcome with the realities of what you have done for us and what you can do for us. And and I've got to tell you, Father, making grace work in a world of law and behavior-based orientation and reward and punishment, making grace work, especially in our family, sometimes is really tough and it's confusing and it's, I don't know what to do here. And, I, and yet, Lord, you constantly are pouring out your ways into us through your word, teaching us who we are in you, what we've been given. And that grace and that love and that acceptance and that completeness that we find in you is ours to share. It's ours to perpetuate in a world that knows nothing of it. I'm praying, Father, for the parent here who hears that story and just now is totally confused. (laughs) What do you mean? I just let him get away with anything? Lord, I pray that you would grant them wisdom to know where (laughs) training is involved, where discipline is involved, but where grace needs to come and be shared with our kids. Lord, we need you in raising our kids, no matter how old they are. Lord, I pray for young people here. I pray for young people who have grown up in a world of Reward and punishment, good and bad. Oh, I pray that they'd be able to wind their way through all the noise and through all the stuff to find the reality of your grace. You're accepting complete grace. Because it's in that place where we are free. It's at that place where the world loses its ability to get under the skin and manipulate and control. It's where we are free. I pray that for every one of us, Father. And when the old Pharisee attitude comes up, I pray, Father, we'd recognize it for what it is and say, no, no. You've been so good to me. You've been so good to me. And I want that for those around me. We want freedom, Father. Freedom. Father, as we close this service, we sing this to you. We proclaim this this truth to you. 
We want the, the, the freedom of Christ, the freedom of grace to reign in this place, in this church, in our lives. Would you do that? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.